Hey guys, my name is Crystal Kenny, and I'm in love with creating. All things artistic and imagination involved. I'm an American girl who chased her creative dreams all the way to Paris, France, making a living using photography. This podcast takes you inside the stories of all the artsy folks I've met along the way and gives you that extra push to discover your creative gifts. The desire to create is deeply inside each and every one of us, and I give you the tools and inspiration to find a new way of living a more creative life. This is La Vie Creative, the podcast. Claudine Hemingway is a descendant of famed writer Ernest Hemingway. We bumped into each other at a party and decided to team up and dive deep into French history, but with a twist, by bringing a spotlight to those lesser-known creatives in France. This is History with a Hemingway. Welcome back to Paris History Avec a Hemingway. I'm back with my favorite French enthusiast, Claudine <laughs> Hemingway. Today we are talking about Anne de Rochechouart, who I was excited to find out shares the same birthday as me, February 10th. Maybe, you know, we're sisters from another time period. <laughs> from another mister from a long time another ago. Another mister. <laughs> Maybe I am a duchess, you know. You couldn't know. <laughs> But anyway, the most fascinating thing about Anne is she is the great granddaughter of Vive Clicquot. And also, she did a lot of things way ahead of her time, which Claudine is going to tell us about now. Yeah, she was she was kind of a she kind of was a badass to tell you the truth about some of the things she she did. But yes, she was the great granddaughter of a Madame Clicquot, which is how I first found her and then started going down a rabbit hole of info on her. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. So, <laughs> um, Anne de Rochechouart, do her na- actual name is incredibly long, Marie Adrienne Anne Vitrin. Viterani oh, <laughs> de Rochechouart de Montermar. You lost me at Anne. And I might have got most of that. <laughs> but her parents, uh, her parent was, uh, her mom was Marie Clementine, and she was the granddaughter of, uh, of Veuve Clicquot, who married Louis de Rochechouart, who was the Count of Montermar. He and was also the nephew of another one of our ladies, Madame de Montespan. Love it. Yes. So they're always intertwined somehow. Um, But she was a third child um, that they had. She was the youngest that they had. And she had an older sister, Pauline, and a brother, Paul. And Pauline died when she was just 10. And her brother, Paul, died of cholera when he was very little. And they were very worried about her health because she was young. And, of course, like cholera just spread like crazy. And so they were worried about her. So they ended up all moving away. And they moved to Villers en Prezer and she um she was a, she survived she did get sick she did get cholera but she was able to survive and the whole family inclu- including great grandma Clico all went to this little <laughs> town to keep keep her safe keep her safe and so but when her grandmother Clico um when her when uh, Anne's mother got married she had the Chateau de Borsot built and to, to mark, you know, their marriage. But she had this built and then that's where she lived. It wasn't like, we're going to build this and then you're going to live in it. It was like, we're gonna, I'm going to build this in honor of your wedding and I'm going to stay there. <laughs> this is for me. You're welcome. <laughs> yes, yes, thank you. Yeah, it's a gesture. Um, so in 1839, 
she had this built and architect Jean-Jacques Nicolau um, had it built and it was, it's very big chateau that was kind of, um, and there's a painting that I'll post on my website of it kind of up over the hill, kind of looming, you know, looking down over the town. Um, and so she, Anne was very little at the time, but she was very, very close with her grandmother. And, you know, once she survived cholera and she was doing better, you know, they became even closer. Um, so on May 10th, 1867, Anne married Emmanuel de uh, Chizel Dez, and he was the count, and he he was a count, and he was the twelfth duke, also of Uzès, down in the south of France. And they met and fell in love after they had been hunting, and he was injured in a serious accident. They fell in love through his injury. They fell in love. Yes, she probably maybe she had some sort of a nursing fantasy. <laughs> she was, was going to say <laughs> hot for nurse. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> so I just put a really strange picture to everybody's head. Uh, <laughs> so they ended up having four children um, between 1868 and 1875, and then he actually died in 1878. So she was now a widow and she spent most of her time um, overseeing her children's education, which, you know, this is also, you know, she was born in 1847. So this is much later than some of the, you know, we, we've talked about some people and the education of, of, you know, children and especially girls. Um, this is, you know, this is much later. Whenever I see anything from like 1800 from in, the, in France, I'm like, wow, that's practically like yesterday. That's so new. <laughs> Very new in history. And maybe kids were allowed to learn something by this point. Yeah, I think they were. So she, her oldest son um, named Jacques, had decided that he preferred to hang out in Paris and enjoy the nightlife. And <laughs> he was running around with an actress. And, you know, we've talked before about actresses. And, you know, basically they were a rung above a prostitute back there. At, at the time. And she did, and did not like this. So she decided to create an expedition to Africa and send her son on it and be in charge of it. But what? While he, <laughs> so she, while he was there though, he got dysentery and he died at 25 years old. I mean, come on, mom, let him hang out with the prostitute. <laughs> What harm is there going to be, really? Yeah, seriously, better than Africa at that time period. Yeah. So, and she at this point, you know, um, great grandma was still alive, but she, you know, she had quite a bit of money uh, on her own. So, but in May 4th, on May 4th, 1897, um, there was a thing in Paris and it was called the Bazaar de la Charité. And it, there was a fire there and there was, there's been recently a TV show on Netflix, a, a, like four or five part, I think show that's all about this. And it was um, the yearly French Catholic church would have this event. And it was in 1880, it started in 1885. It was located in eighth um, arrondissement at 17 Rue Jean Goujon. And what they would do is they basically reconstructed out of wood and cardboard and paper mache these, these interiors. And so they kind of turned it into this like fancy little salon, but it was all made of like um, very easy things that are going to catch on fire. So paper mache. Paper mache. <laughs> and so on May 4th, it was the second day. It was a four day event. And they had brought in a bunch of filming equipment. So they were going to, you know, film this. And so they had these big lights that would get very, very hot, you know, back then. I mean, that's, I mean, even now you kind of have that. I mean, I've done events on stage where you have these can lights and they could practically burn the place down just even standing next to them. They're hot. Oh so yeah. This is, you know, 1897. 
so they have these lights. Well, everything gets so hot, it ends up catching on fire. Surprise, surprise. And it basically, like, because of the way they set it up, they had the entrances were kind of small. They were in weird places that most of the people that were there were women. And there was this huge fire and people couldn't get out. And if you, you should really watch this. Um, I think I've only watched like the first episode or two of it because then I forget and then I forget about ever watching it. But <laughs> they, uh, <laughs> it's pretty horrific. And 126 people died. Most of them were women. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah. And some of them were like escaping, like crawling through windows to get out. But Anne was there that on May 4th and she was able to get out and she survived. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, but when her great grandmother, Vukli Co, died, she left Anne her property and a large stake in her company. Wow. And at the time, along with Anne's father, he also was given part of it. And at the time, she didn't really want to have a lot to do with the day, day-to-day running of the winery. So she kind of entrusted it with other people to over oversee it. And her father um, also was kind of involved in it. And he actually had a lot of money. So he died shortly after that, after Clico died. And so now Anne is like one of the wealthiest women in Europe. That's crazy. Lucky girl. And she was the only grandchild alive still, right? Yeah, From yeah. Mm-hmm. That's wild. Yeah. So she was, you know, she was sitting pretty. So, but it was a, she was able because she had all this money. And of course she had a lot of attention that she was able to get into a lot of um, different groups in Paris. And so some of those, she definitely used to her advantage and some of her things, she was really involved in politics. She used her um, fortune to support a royalist and conservative politician named George Ernest Boulanger. And he, and she ended up giving him 3 million francs. What? Which, you know, I don't, I mean, the, I tried That's to so do much a conversion money. from Frank. 3 million francs in 1900 to now <laughs> it's you can't do it <laughs> like billionaire yeah so, yeah it doesn't exist that's no. insane no but she was able you know to use her money and do get into involved in things that you know most people wouldn't be able to and you know especially for a woman to be doing this um but she also loved to hunt and so she every year she organized this um hunt called the R- uh, rally bonel and it was a hunt with hounds which is you know a very english thing and it was out in the rambouille forest and she did this she organized this all the way up until she died every year she sounds like a badass she is kind of a badass so she organized a hunt one time for the Empress of Austria and the Empress was so impressed and when she was, and was shocked when she found out it was a woman that had meticulously organized this, <laughs> which, you know, at event planners, I think there's more women of them, but <laughs> <laughs> speaking from, you know, experience, speaking from experience, uh, but she was really at the same time, she'd have these hunts, but then she was also really involved in animal causes. and but because she was involved in all of these hunts, she was sitting on the animal protection society um, group. And they basically kicked her out because you can't really be, you know, animal protection and then have these hunts and go out and, you know, killing. (laughs) That sounds really contradictory. I'm protecting the animals, but also (laughs) I'm. (laughs) Um, arranging the kill i know later in july 1926 she was at 80 years old she was named um to uh to the lieutenant de louvet 
um, which was relegated hunting in Rambui. So she went from one group later on to a different one that actually just oversaw and, you know, made sure that everybody was hunting and doing what they were supposed to. <laughs> so and she also served as a supporter of the Federa- Federation Nationale de Jean de France, which was, I thought, really interesting because this is the trade union that wanted to break up strikes. And um, she was really involved in that, which I thought was kind of funny, c- considering all the gilation. I was going to say, I don't think that association succeeded because no, I don't think it's, that's all that France does. Yeah, I think it went the opposite, opposite Ray. But in 1873, she also joined the Avant Courier Association, which was fighting for the rights of women. And, well, that's a good thing. No more yeah. killing animals and breaking up strikes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But she was able to, because of her status and her... Um, how elite she was in the Paris community, she was a great influence on bringing others to causes because they, you know, people wanted to be around her and people wanted to be a part of it. So, you know, it, it really helped drawing attention to a lot of these causes. And she was really, you know, she gave a lot of money. She was also involved with the suffragist movement and the anti-cancer league. There's an anti-cancer league. Yeah, so she was very big. I mean, there was a lot of, I I don't know how she had time for anything else with all these things she was doing. (laughs) I'd say she definitely needed a hobby. Yes, she had a few. So, but um, World War I, when so many soldiers were injured and filling up the hospitals and they didn't have enough space, she had given one of her chateaus, the Chateau de Bonnel, um, and they set it up as a makeshift hospital. Where she and she was at the time she was 70 years old, she took a nurse's license so she could assist doctors and take care of the wounded and help with surgery. Even at 70 years old, at 70 years old. And she it sounds like she had a very big heart. I mean, she didn't have to do anything. She was crazy rich. She could just drink all day and hung out with other rich people. Yeah. Just sit around drinking champagne all day from, you know, great grandma's staff. <laughs> That's, a, that, uh, that's right there. Sign me up. <laughs> yeah, seriously. I think I would have been a little more involved in great grandma stash. Exactly. Um, but she had, you know, with her wealth, she also, of course, had, you know, quite a few different homes. She had a, um, a home on the Champs-Élysées. She later ended up buying four homes um, that were next to each other um, around Parc Monceau. And anybody that's been in Parc Monceau and you look at those um those homes that surround it and you always wonder who lives in there. She had four of them. I always wonder when I go by on the bus, I'm like, those are amazing homes. Who the heck owns those? Yeah, now I know. So cool. Um, but she had one, um, she lived in one and then the other three she had for like for friends to live in. I want to be her friend. I know. <laughs> I mean, not, I mean, you practically, you guys share a birthday practically are i mean um, yeah i'm actually uh, one of those houses is mine one of those is yours yeah because you have a birthday <laughs> Perfect. um but she not only did she have those but she also had quite a few chateaus outside of paris um including the one that was the one that her great grandma owned and she you know still was also doing lots of event planning she continued to organize quite a few different events including a day of elegance and lace in 1900. What is that? Well, I know I was, when I read that, I was like, oh, that sounds fancy. Is it some sort of lingerie show? No, it's, it was um, a fundraiser for Breton soldiers. <laughs> that is the total opposite of what I was expecting. Well, I guess it's lace because there's the whole Breton lace, you know, they're very specific lace that the, um, those little lace things that the Breton women 
you know, going back a long way. Um, yeah, but it sounds so sexy. <laughs> I know it's so sexy. Uh, but, you know, it was also great because she just kept bringing attention to all these things. Um, but in 1898, um, her friend, Emile Dehay, created an exciting new car and she really wanted to have one. So she was actually ended up being one of the very first, the very first woman in Paris to actually have a driver's license in France. What? That is super cool. Yeah. And so she loved to drive her friends around in this car and go really fast. And you're going to crack up when you hear how fast she went. (laughs) She would drive around in Bois de Boulogne and she got her first, she was also, she not only should get one of the very, she got the first female driving's license, but she also got one of the very first speeding tickets because she was going nine miles an hour. You're kidding. Oh my God. That's hilarious. If she could drive today, she'd keel over. I know. Like, I mean, terrifying. like when you have to, when you're driving through a school and you have to go from like 35 down to 20, it's like, oh my God, I'm crawling. But can you imagine? <laughs> driving too fast. That's crazy. A whole mile and a half over the speed limit. I feel like people would be running faster than that. <laughs> I think we could walk faster than that. <laughs> <laughs> but at the time, women couldn't, have, you know, women couldn't join the Automo- Automobile Club of France. So what did she do? She created one on her own. And she, in 1926, it was the Automobile Club um, Feminine de France. Um, so she, And she was, of course, the president. Love it. When you have money, you can do whatever you want. Yeah. So you could do whatever you want. So now she, you know, it's, but it's very inspiring to, I'm sure, a lot of women at the time, too, because she just kept doing all these things and like, oh, wait, oh, now I, oh, you can't, won't let me. Well, great. I'll just make my own. Yeah, I'll just, I got some money later on. It's funny because I, I shoot events at the Automobile Club in Paris, mm. and I'm pretty sure that women are still not allowed to join. Really? Yeah, it's like a big thing, like. Yeah, because I shoot the library gala there every year. And some people are a little like unhappy about the fact that we host it there for that reason. Oh, which is kind of ridiculous. It's driving a car. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Come on, people. <laughs> yeah, I mean, come on, open it up a little. Um, but, you know, not only was she president doing all these other things, but she also really liked to write and paint and sculpt. And she actually used a pseudonym and she called herself Manetta which um, was a name she also had for her steamship. That's amazing. Of course. Yeah. But she created sculptures of Diane. She did one of Notre Dame. Um, and she also did a huge statue of Jean d'Arc. And I'll post a picture um, of this painting that Adolphe uh, Damange painted her in 1900, standing on scaffolding, waiting, working on this huge sculpture of Jean d'Arc. That is so cool. Yeah. And she was later cast in bronze and it was placed at the Place de la Chateau, Place du Chateau in Mouan-sous-Hiver until 1944 when it was destroyed and melted down by the Germans. The Germans melted her statue? Yeah. Well, they could, they did that with quite a few statues. If they were things uh, that kind of didn't go with what they believed in or people, they um, had taken them down and melted them down so that they could also use them for, you know, weapons and stuff. That's so crazy that she did all that when she didn't have to do anything. That's also probably why she didn't lose her mind because we need a purpose. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I mean, she was, I mean, the whole, like, I it's exhausting just reading what she did. <laughs> she was a busy woman. She was. Uh, but in 1914, 
She with Francois Xavier de Bourbon. She helped fund the Memorial de France um, organization, which is still in place to this day with the intent that it holds a memorial mass every year on January 21st, the death of Louis XVI and October 16th for Marie Antoinette. And it still it still goes on today. And she helped set that up and they do it in the Basilique Saint-Denis. That's so cool. I mean, I'm. it just, she had all that money. So I guess she had more power, but also people seemed to listen to her, you know, she could yeah. get a get a following people yeah, she were definitely interested. had an influence over people probably because she was involved in so many things instead of you know oh i'm just gonna go and get involved in the anti-cancer you know but she <laughs> was involved in so many things and created so many things especially for women i think they really listened to her she made a huge difference for women in france that's for difference. sure and her grandmother her great-grandmother wrote her a letter at the end of her li- at her life end of her life telling her how much alike they were and to always extend herself to do more in her life and never to give up. Well, it's a good thing she uh, lived through that cholera or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> we wouldn't yeah. have any of that today. Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, when you look at, you know, her great grandmother and you look at all the things that Madame Clicquot created and she did, and she drove, you know, I think that she definitely was to chip off the old block a few generations later. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I see a lot of similarities, like her great-grandmother said. Uh, They were definitely powerful and open-minded and ahead of their time. Yeah. And she, you know, I mean, I don't... uh... I don't, I don't know that. I mean, obviously, um, Veuve Clicquot is now purchased and owned by LVMH. So it's not really involved in the family anymore, but it would be pretty interesting if they were still somehow involved in it. Yeah. I'm curious, like what happened to all her money when she died? Well, she, when she died, she died on February 3rd, 1933, which, you know, in the realm of things isn't, does not seem that long ago, even though no. it's close to a hundred years ago, she was 85 years old, old. And she survived all but two of her children. So only two of her children at the end of her life were still alive. So I'm sure they they came into a very nice inheritance. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say they were sitting pretty. They were sitting pretty. Yeah, but it's a uh, yeah. I mean, I don't think, uh, you know, I found her name while we were doing. I was doing some stuff for Madame Clicquot and I'd never heard of her before. And she's was a pretty kick ass woman. Yeah, once again, women kind of written out of history, don't yep. know nothing about them. Yep. We just know about the woman who got her head cut off. Exactly. <laughs> but you don't even know all of that. Like mo- the story that they put out about so many of these things, like Marie Antoinette, it's, you know, it's only just, you know, most people know the let them eat cake, which she never said, and a few other things. And it's the rest of the story is it's it's not hidden away. But you got to take another minute or two to to really find it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Well, I'm happy that we're sharing Anne de Rochechoir with the world. Go Anne. Go Anne. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in, guys. And you can always check out more on Claudine's website, support her on her Patreon. And she always lists like beautiful photos of what she was chatting about on her blog. So make sure to check out her website. We'll see you later. Thank you for listening to Paris History Avec A Hemingway. If you want to find out some more, you can always find me on my Instagram page, Claudine Bleu Blanc Rouge, and that's B-L-E-U, as in the French way to spell it. And each day I post a daily history lesson about a person or a place or something in Paris, or it's 
lots of fun facts. And then also at ClaudineHemingway.com where you can also sign up for my newsletter there. <laughs>